state of care. All right. Hello and welcome to the State of Fair podcast. My name is Janice and I'm your host today. Our guest for this episode is a performance consultant, a life coach, and the best-selling author and champion for people in recovery. Since overcoming her 20-year battle with drugs, alcohol, and obesity in 2012, she has dedicated her life to empowering others to embrace their authentic selves and live up to their true potential. Let's all welcome to Mara Medford. Good morning. Good morning. Thank you so much for having me. I'm honored to be here, Janice. Oh my gosh, the pleasure is mine. How are you? <laughs> I'm doing fantastic. It's a beautiful sunny day here and just went out for a nice walk to, you know, get myself all prepped for today's interview. Oh, thank you so much. And um, I know I've introduced you as a life coach, an author and a consultant, but before becoming those, can you share with us your battle against drugs, alcohol, and obesity as much as you've mentioned in your bio? It's kind of interesting, and I think that's kind of a long battle, don't you think? Can you share some with us? Absolutely, and it was a very long battle. I actually, I always like to start off with, I had an amazing childhood, right? A lot of people, there's this perception that with addiction comes trauma, and although that's very true in a lot of cases. For me, it wasn't that way. You know, I had two loving parents, a brother, grew up with a really fantastic life. Um, but, you know, my dad was always, hey, if you did this, you can do better. And so I started to develop this perfectionism and always wanted that recognition and gold star. And, you know, so I always struggled for, you know, I wanted my, you know, that love to come from external sources. I felt like that's what made me worthy. And I never felt like I fit in. Well, in high school, of course, you know, alcohol starts to happen. You start to notice it and the drug scene. And of course, you know, the first time I drank at 14, I felt like I had come alive. You know, I felt like my my world went from black and white to color, you know, with a lot of people, I explain it like, you know, somebody has a glass of wine and they start to get a little tipsy and they feel out of control and they stop but for me it was the complete opposite as soon as alcohol entered my system i felt confident i felt outgoing i felt like i could be funny and people actually liked me and so i felt like i had actually become this amazing person that i really thought others wanted me to be but unfortunately for me once i had the taste of alcohol anything else went as well you know anything that gave me that mood altering feeling um that numbed you know my pain my feelings everything else something that i could celebrate with you know alcohol and drugs became my solution for everything and of course you know after high school was over which i barely graduated and it wasn't because i wasn't a good student it was because i i just wanted to you know go to the next party or you know, do all these fun things and who cares about school? And, you know, into my kind of young adult life, all my friends were going to university, college, you know, having families. And I just wanted to hang out for that next big party, right? And so I slipped into harder drugs. I found myself in places that I never imagined myself being um, because like I said, I had a very good upbringing. And so for me, it wasn't like I was surrounded by that. It was just something that ended up happening as a result of my addiction. And of course, um, I always replace one addiction with another. I still do it today with food, actually, which is why obesity is such a big part of my story, because mm. 
you know, when I wasn't drinking or using drug, I was, I was binge eating, right? And so yo-yo oh, dieting right. <laughs> became a Let big thing. Let me just backtrack to yeah. um, alcohol. I am I know like almost everyone or maybe normally, I'm sorry if I like generalize people, but there is really a phase where people, you know, discover drinking. I think I'm, I've been to that phase as well. I'm just wondering, were you sober by day and not by night or were you just you know coming in and out of being sober and maybe most of the day and night you aren't is that how it works with like previous alcoholics or what no it's it's really it's not about how often you drink or when you drink it's about Uh how alcohol makes you feel so for myself in high school i would go Mm -hmm. home at lunch and my parents were working and so Mm -hmm. i would often just get drunk at home with friends but you know as i i was a party i know i was like (laughs) hey come on over guys no one's home um And I think that's what a lot of people don't understand about addiction. It's not about the quantity you consume. It's about how it makes you feel. Most people can stop after a couple glasses of wine. They're like, well, don't like this feeling for an alcoholic or addict. That's when the cravings start. That's when they want more. That's when they feel in control. Uh I didn't know that myself. I can only see alcoholics from my experience not being sober. You know, like, and you have a point there, how it changes them, but it has turned them for the worst. I can't remember them being sober or having a straight conversation with them. So you really have a point. You've enlightened me there. I didn't know that. So yeah, do go on about your story. Yeah, it's and and I'm glad you asked that question because a lot of people, I think, struggle right now with addiction, not even realizing they have a problem. You know, you know that your life starts to get out of control and you need that alcohol or that drug to and actually from what function. I know, it's actually, it's actually a part where you get to be in denial. Is that right? Is that part of addiction? There's a phase where you're just in denial and it spirals down from there? It sure does. Um, you know, after I went through a phase with very hard drugs, I got into an abusive relationship because, of course, codependency was right in there, right? And it was interesting because (laughs) I almost switched over and thought, okay, I'm the classy one, right? I'm the classy alcoholic. And I never looked at myself as an alcoholic or a drug addict back then. I just thought, like you said, it was a phase that I went through, but I was destroying my life. I was hurting the people I loved and I didn't want to recognize that. And so I would jump from relationship to relationship, diet to diet, everything to try and seek that outside recognition that outside love like validation Uh yeah i didn't love myself anymore and so i was always doing things that were very destructive you know and with the codependent relationships that i've just really learned how codependent i was over the last couple of years and so you know at one point i actually stopped using harder drugs probably in my kind of mid to late 20s but then i shifted right back to alcohol addiction. I got married. You know, I did all the things that I thought society wanted me to do. I set or goals. Or someone that... would deem quote unquote normal. Yes. And I tried to live this normal life, but it wasn't the case. I mean, my my ex-husband now, but he was an alcoholic as well. And I, I was with him 
because I'm like, he's not going to call me out or tell me I'm drinking too much, right? And right. it was just crazy, the people that I engaged with. I needed people like me so they wouldn't call me out on everything that I was doing. That's another form of being so wise, but on the wrong side. <laughs> yes. That's another way of escaping, I believe. Don't you mm -hmm. agree? <laughs> Absolutely. So... Personally, I was curious because, you know, after recovering, you might have just lived your own life, you know, continue um, being better. You don't need to empower others, you know. Could you perhaps say that by now that's what you consider as your purpose? To empower others, absolutely. I mean, when I hit my bottom, which was when I decided to stop digging, you know, a lot of people think you have to lose it all to get sober. Um, for me, it was I wanted to end my life. You know, I was sat on the floor with a bottle of pills. I had a little dog beside me and something inside me just thought, no, you're here for a reason. Like, just keep going. Right. And that's when I decided to change. And in early recovery for me, it was a lot of work. It was a lot of looking at the life I had created because it was my own fault. I had created this life, building that foundation starting to own everything, apologize to the people I had hurt. And by apologizing, I meant actually living a life that they would start to believe that I was making these changes, right? I couldn't just I say totally I'm sorry. I totally agree. Yes. Right? I personally think that the best apology is changed behavior. You couldn't, yes. you could only say sorry so many times and still repeat everything that hurt others, but it's really the changed behavior. And you know, after saying sorry, is asking how can you make it right and then just doing that don't you think <laughs> i 100 percent agree and when i started to actually show people that i was serious and not try to convince them they're like oh maybe she's on this right path now and i kind of started coaching in early recovery by helping other people teach other people what i had learned right that it was really important to recognize first you had a problem then to build that solid foundation and that's kind of where I started to get this feeling like I was meant for more because I got very complacent, you know, about a year in. I thought, hey, I've gotten sober. I've lost 75 pounds because I weighed 215 pounds at my my um, bottom, right? Like I okay. was just eating my feelings and drinking. I was drinking 5,000 calories of alcohol every weekend, just weekend. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> How much more on the weekdays? Oh, probably about another 5,000 calories. Well, that's that's plenty, to yes, say the least. It, it was more than enough. But I, I got complacent, and I kind of felt like I was meant for more. You know, I knew I had overcome this battle of addiction. I always looked at it as a negative thing, though. You know, and that's what I try and inspire or empower people to do today, is it's like, you know, I have over 20 years of this experience that I've communicated like I'm trying to think of the word here <laughs> I've built up and you know it's I always looked at it as something that would follow me around in a negative way but I didn't realize how many people are suffering and you know so I started to feel this burning desire to help more people and in different ways and I, I think that's why I'm where I am today is because I got so complacent, you know, where I thought I've almost graduated, you know, I've been taught how to quit drinking. I've done that. I've lost 75 pounds. I've done that. And then I just thought, now what? 
you know, because I didn't want to work the nine to five job. (laughs) Yes. Mm -hmm. Right. And that inspired me to really figure out how I could help empower other people. That's right. And I think that's one of the greatest decisions you've made, you know, because as you've said, it's not just you that have been suffering. And it's a good thing that you find a way out. You know, there are some that really don't think there's a way out. So earlier, you did mention that um, you started it by teaching others how you got out of it, of everything, of, you know, the mess that is your past. Yeah. So um, I was just wondering how specifically did you overcome them? Did you go to a therapist? Were you in rehab? Or did you just wake up one day and decide that it's, let's just stop this and become a better person? How, how was it? How was the journey? Well, I was very fortunate that I I didn't have to go to rehab because a lot of people do. I actually had decided because I was overweight that I was going to hire a personal trainer because I was really convinced that alcohol was not my problem, right? And so I hired a personal trainer and we started working out and it was interesting because we knew each other from high school. We realized there was one year of high school and so we, we connected really quickly and you know, I started going all in with my addiction to fitness, right? Which wasn't terrible, except I was doing it really rigid by the book, right? So I was swapping one addiction to another. And I really thought that if I could change the way I looked on the outside, that it would heal the pain that I felt on the inside. And so as I started this journey, about four months into it, my trainer said, hey, you know, um, I don't drink anymore. If you ever want to know how to stop, you can come with me, you know, and and I can teach you. And I'm like, oh, I don't need that, right? I was right away, my back's up like, I, you know, I'm not like you then. And I was really shocked. And I had one really bad bender after that where I actually reached out and said, okay, I'm ready. And so I had joined a 12-step program and I started working my way through this, right? And, And I had to really acknowledge the fact that I had a problem. And that was kind of the first key step was... Because I know today that if I ever think that maybe it's okay to have one drink. That's so true. Uh You know, I totally agree when you said that you have to acknowledge the problem. It's like thinking that why would you straighten something that's crooked when you can't see that it is crooked? Yeah. It's a matter of perspective. It's a matter of recognizing that, yes, there is a problem. And I think it's one thing that most people lack. So they jump right away to saying and in being in denial to saying that nothing's wrong. So there's no need of fixing in the process of still being so wrong. And you're totally right. That's so crucial to make, you know, to be able to see the problem. Yeah. And I think that's probably the hardest part is that people come into recovery and that's why I'm doing what I'm doing today is they come in, they learn how to get sober, they recognize they had a problem and how out of control their lives got, but they don't have that in their head because a couple of years later when life is really good and they've got their family back, their friends back into their life, they have maybe a job that they love or you know maybe that they're just grateful they have, they get complacent and I experienced that as well and it almost becomes this, well, maybe... I am okay now. And the reality is most people who get into that spot and think that they can drink normally again, 
they go out and they're, you know, a lot of people are no longer with us today. Like I, out of everybody I got sober with, there's only two people that are still alive today in the group that I got sober with because those people, oh they, got, they got their lives back and they thought, you know what, maybe I didn't have a problem. Maybe it's okay if I have a drink again. And for me, I always have to have that in my head that I can't. Yeah, um, I've heard about stories about relapse and yes, you're totally right. They felt like I'm in a good place now. Maybe the past wasn't just not much of a good place. So I can't permit myself now to get that trick. And, you know, the thing with this is that we'd like to trick ourselves into saying that's just one drink and one becomes two and it ends in bottles and another spiraling down episode. And it's, I believe it's not just with alcoholism. It's in any form of addiction. And it's something, um, they would define addiction as something that um, causes a negative effect in someone's life, right? Mm -hmm. And aside from alcoholism, you did mention that you were also into drugs. Let me just clear with that 20 year um, journey that you had was it all in one or were you in a phase of jumping from one addiction to another alcohol was very abundant through those 20 plus years that was always my go-to addiction but the drugs came in and out um, I was really into heavier drugs in my early 20s and then I got married and my ex said if you use we're done. And so of course I thought, well, I'm not a drug addict. I can do this. And actually before I had gotten sober, I started getting into it again because if it, I moved, you know, I thought, Hey, if I move out of town, I'm not going to have access to it and it'll be fine, but it will always find you. If you hang out with those people that are drinking all the time and that were exactly like me, I knew it would eventually come back into my life and I thought I could be strong and say no because you know I'm I'm past this stage but I couldn't and that was part of my bottom as well right was as soon as it's available it didn't matter what it was if it was mind altering I would take it, it it's the same for food like you said right humans can become addicted to anything that gives them pleasure but let me just say short-lived pleasure yeah. because yeah. I think what differentiates the addiction towards, um, or I mean, from addiction and, you know, something that you really enjoy doing is that aside from its negative effect, it's also short lived. And the pleasure that you get out of it is superficial. Just like when you take drugs after the high, you just go rock bottom. Yeah. And so that's why they do it again, at least from my understanding. Please correct me if I'm wrong. I've only read so much um it's fortunate that i haven't been in a place where i needed to have that kind of outlet but i feel for others who like you may not be really troubled but just really dived in there's also others who resorted to that because of a troubled life so it's a case-to-case -case basis which leads me to my next question about your life coaching and you being a consultant, what do you think are the challenges? I mean, aside from the personal where you may have a battle of the right and the wrong things to do, or, you know, 
just in case your mind goes a little to the wrong side or things like that, that's also a personal battle. But as well as a life coach and a consultant, what what's the challenges? I think the challenge is allowing yourself to be vulnerable, which is something that I've gotten very good at over the last year. Um, I mean, you know, when I wrote my first book, I always thought that by sharing my story, it would have negative consequences. It would, people would be going, well, who is she to do this? And what I learned was actually that the more vulnerable I become, the more real I become, the more people can relate and go, oh, she's actually been through all this. So, you know, now when I'm talking to a client and they're completely lost and have no idea what direction to go and they're telling me what they're going through, I can look at them and honest and sincerity say, I know what you're going through. I have been there too. And uh -huh. chances are I've, I've already, you know, come up with solutions that can help <laughs> them get through that specific right. moment. Yeah. And you're totally right. I mean... I invited you over because of what you've been doing, you know, as a consultant, what you've been through. But there's still some hesitation in me to ask you about the journey that you've had. Because as you've said, it's a vulnerability that you have to like repeat and retell over and over again. And um, I don't want to be in a vulnerable position and neither do you. However, I think that why this works with you is that your vulnerability is the same time your strength mm -hmm. and um, that's why it's been helping others along the way as well so i know i've been thanking you since the beginning of the podcast but truly you know being vulnerable and showing your vulnerability for us as listeners it's it's an honor you know it's not something that anyone can just be open and we're not just being open right here I'm, I think I'm, I'm asking you to dig some old ones. So uh, I hope you're not uncomfortable. Do let me know if this gets uncomfortable, but I trust that you're not. <laughs> no, no, I'm, I'm totally okay sharing my story. You did mention that you wrote a book. I also saw that on your website. Can you tell me more about that? I actually wrote two in the last year because when... <laughs> COVID hit, um, you know, I have coaches as well. I have a couple coaches that I work with and, you know, I do have a therapist that I work with as well. Um, I was always encouraged that if I have a story, I need to share it. And even though, you know, my bottom, I, I was financially bankrupt. I was divorced. I was suicidal. Like my bottom was pretty, you know, difficult in my eyes, but I would always compare myself to other people and be like, well, they were homeless or they were this or they were that. And what I don't realize is there's a lot of people who can probably relate to my story. So my mentor's mm. like, you have a voice, you have a story to share. Why don't you share your story? Mm. And so I started writing the book in April of last year, the, my first book, Hope Elevated. And I really wanted to make an impact on people who are struggling, that it's okay to not be okay. It's okay to get vulnerable. It's okay to share your story because that story right i uh, i had a guest actually on my own podcast that said my sobriety is my superpower now right and i can use that to i totally help agree other. right that's so right and you're yeah. um that you are able to influence others maybe yeah. just hear them out there are some people that really just need listeners you know yeah someone to pay attention 
And yeah. there are those that think that they're alone in the battle. So they don't even think of getting a way out. But if they hear you, if they know of your story in whichever platform, be it in the books, your social media accounts, or the podcast where you have amazing guests with you as well, that's really, really helpful. And mm -hmm. we can never tell. Helping one soul is as tantamount as helping a hundred. It's yeah. a matter of helping. And I totally agree with you on that. And yes, speaking of the pandemic, how has it affected you or your um, business or your profession? How is it, how is it um, dealing with that and being, you know, previously addicted? Was it triggering to some degree? No, and it's it's funny you ask about that because I just remember thinking when it started, I'm so grateful I'm sober because I was listening to the news once and I don't listen to the news often. And they were Same saying here. how they, they were, yeah, because I want positive stuff in my mind, but they were talking about potentially closing the liquor stores down. And I just <laughs> instantly went to that, thank goodness I'm not in active addiction because right now, mm -hmm. if I had heard that and I was still drinking actively, I uh -huh. would have rushed off to the liquor store, <laughs> spent every last dime on booze mm. and made sure I stocked up just in case they actually close the liquor store. You're so. going to have your own stash <laughs> if that's the case. <laughs> exactly. But I used to travel for business before the pandemic hit mm -hmm. and I was traveling fairly regularly. Mm -hmm. And I looked at it as an opportunity to strengthen my, my skills as a coach. I thought, okay, I'm home now. I'm not on the road all the time or in airports. So I really took advantage of the downtime and I just started studying and, you know, I was still working full time. Um, and that's when I decided, okay, now I have the time to write my book. So I wrote two books. I just launched my second one and I actually just left my job in corporate because, you know, I'd been waking up at 4 a.m. for the last year because I was so determined to help people embrace their authentic selves and live up to their true potential because I believe that people are capable of so much more and that's what fuels my passion today so I took advantage of the pandemic and I'm like okay I can't go anywhere what am I going to do to improve my life and the lives of others that's right I've read somewhere that there's really opportunity if you know how to look yeah. and um yeah the pandemic has turned things to the worse or the better it's a case-to-case -case basis mm -hmm. um personally it gave me so much time to self-reflect yes and maybe realign what i wanted in life what i wanted moving forward and you know having the realization that things are uncertain we are not promised tomorrow and it makes us bolder you know mm -hmm. like you did you made two books over the period of the pandemic. So I think that's something brave, quitting your corporate job into and, and you know, putting all your energy into helping others. And I think that um, you helping others realize their authentic selves is your authenticity too. Mm -hmm. And that in itself is really just a gift for others, you know. So um, I was wondering if you also encounter young persons in um, coaching or in your um, consultancy how does it work I mean do you encounter young persons with the same problem as you did years before and if you ever do what piece of advice do you usually give them 
Um, I do actually. I run a program or facilitate a program that's called Mensana and it means healthy mind and a healthy body in Latin. And actually one of my clients decided to bring her teenage son because mm. there's a <laughs> teen potential element of the program where, mm. you know, you're really focusing on, you know, goal setting, which is just the first, the smallest part of it actually. But then mm -hmm throughout the program, you're looking at conformity, right? Because as a teenager, especially as someone who was drinking and using drugs, mm -hmm. I conformed, you know, I wanted to so desperately fit in. You wanted so, to be in whatever yeah. in that was, whether it was Ex wrong or right. So long as yeah. it's in. <laughs> I wanted to be cool. I wanted to right. be one of the cool kids, right? But I think for teenagers, that's such a tough especially today because today is completely different we didn't have all the technology the phones or anything exactly right but <laughs> what i want to do is really start because as a result of her son being in there and he's um 17 mm -hmm. he started to start to think different and start to realize that hey maybe i don't have to conform to my classmates or my friends i can actually stand in my own strengths I know that when I start saying things like I can't or I'm not good enough, that's a red flag that I have to go, oh, if I keep saying this to myself, I'm going to, you know, start to feel depressed and anxiety because I think that for teens especially, there's a, this desire to fit in and be a part of. And I think hitting teenagers young, so I actually, you know, want to run a full program of parents with their teens and that would be amazing. Yeah, uh -huh. because... Had someone, I mean, I don't know if I would have listened at the time, but had someone says, hey, you don't have to fit in. You can be your unique self. That's what makes you powerful, you know? Right. And, you know, imagine this um, when we were like teenagers, we think that, you know, I don't know, but a, a source of being not cool is when you're in good communication with your parents. Yeah. Because when they restrict you to do something, to go out with someone, you think that you're missing out. And in mm -hmm. turn, you don't easily obey to them. And you see, if you ever go with that program of yours, there's going to be you or a therapist that goes with a teenager and his or her parent. So I think it's it's more like of um, listening to many people at once, yes, but having different perspectives as as like in one time as well and i mm -hmm. think that that would be helpful that would be amazing i really hope you find the time the energy and of course the people to help with that side program that's gonna rock yeah i i'm excited about it because i've already noticed you know asking the team that's part of the program right now and you know it's like how cool would it be when all your friends are doing something and you're like no, actually, I don't want to do that because that costs money and I want to spend it on this. And they're all like, wow. Right. <laughs> it's so funny where when we are adults, we get to realize that. Because I think if you get to say no to something that they, they think are so they're like they're so influential, they think they have they have this power over you and you just say no and they completely lose their power. Why do we realize that late? We should have said no when we were teenagers, right? <laughs> I, I, yeah, definitely. But I think there is this, you know, conformity. It There's this mm. need to fit in, a need to be cool. You know, and, to belong. <laughs> yeah. 
And I think we just have these because we build up our belief system, you know, from our parents and then our, you know, Mm -hmm. mentors, our teachers, our friends. But I think our friends and that's where I went wrong is I started to hang out with the people that I thought were cool. Right. I thought (laughs) they're doing all these really bad things. Like if I Mm -hmm. if I go and hang out with them, I'm pretty cool. And they get away with it, which makes makes them way cooler, you know? Yeah. (laughs) I totally see that kind of bunch in my school as well. Yeah. I think everywhere you find these types of people. And yes, I totally agree. It's really about the sense of belongingness, you know, that you feel like you have to conform. You yeah. you have this desire to be accepted. I think as adults, we still have that. It's only a matter of perspective and how we get to be accepted on our terms, not mm-hmm. on the other party's terms. You know, and we can walk away from a situation that we think is unhealthy or toxic, but that surprise after being in similar situations before where you couldn't walk away. So finally, everything that we've experienced before is paying. So we now learn more. We now know more, you know, so those kinds of things. And um, I'm also curious because I, I've always... Um, heard about life coaches or consultants and all those kinds of things. What's your proudest moment as a life coach? I think I had a a friend actually that reached out to me. I met through a fitness program that Mm -hmm. I was in a support group because I definitely believe in having support groups for every area of your life to continue to work yourself up and be built up and feeling empowered. But she had called me and she said, listen, I, I'm watching what you're doing and in tears, like absolutely destroyed, had no goals, was not happy with her job. You know, she just, she had no direction. And she said, I don't have goals for some reason. Like I'm trying to think of what I need to do. And there's the typical, I want to lose weight. She goes, but I have no hope like for my future. I just feel like I'm alone. And so she said, I'd like to try out your program. The one I was just mentioning actually, and I said, okay, mensana. that's Mensana. Yeah. Uh-huh. And um, she, she goes, I want to be a part of this. Right. And cause it's all science-based. It's a, a company called life and balance that I teach it through. So I facilitated, it. it's not my program. Um, and so she started going through it and we started working through each of the modules. We talked about stuff like procrastination and conformity, emotional management, and I got her to set some goals. But what I first did was said, okay, we got to discover what your purpose is. And she goes, I don't have a purpose. I said, yes, you do. But you have to open your mind and allow yourself this opportunity to discover what it is you really want. And so about three um, sessions before the very end, she's like, Tamar, I want to sign up for a year. She's like, I want to do your coaching for another year. And I said, absolutely. And then she said, how can I teach this stuff? And because you can teach it to corporate too, right? And I I laughed. I'm like, really? And she goes, I want to make a difference in other people's lives because she started her own business since then. She's played the violin. She's helping out in her workplace more. And it's just unbelievable to see that like light go on in someone's eyes where First they were lost and now they've totally found their purpose in life. Oh my gosh, that's so heartwarming. And yeah. I I feel proud listening to it. So <laughs> how much more if you've gone it through yourself and you've helped that certain person, I'm so proud of you. <laughs> Thank you. 
I that might have been your proudest, but I think, you know, just doing this for a living, mm-hmm. just being able to do this, being a life coach for others, um, being a consultant for others. I think you should be proud of yourself. I think it's almost um, the same as saying that you should be proud that you've ended that journey on a good note. You are in a very good place now. And um, can you talk about your program some more? I mean, as a way of like introducing it as well so that our listeners can also look it up and perhaps need your help. Absolutely. Um, So if you head on over to my website at www.theroadforward.ca, on the top, I've got a tab called it's Mensana. And so what it is, it's a personal development program. And I have a group format, which is the Mensana program. And then I also do one on one, which is YB12, which is a uh, your best 12 months. And essentially what it is, is mapping out you know your purpose what it is that you truly want right and then creating goals that align with that vision because i think the mistake a lot of people make is they have society goals you know like i should weigh this much i should have a home i should have a nice car and so they set these goals but they're not really getting any you know enjoyment out of the journey and the you know sort of fulfillment yes Right. And it should be about the journey. It should be about uh, enjoying the ride. Right. It's who you become as a result of going after these goals. It's not about reaching the goal. It's about who you become in the process. And so this is really a um, a performance based program where you talk about the emotional aspects. You know, why don't we hit our goals? Why don't we commit to things? Why do we think the way we do? How do we change that, right? We talk about alpha mind where we can really start making these habits in our lives that start to get things into our subconscious. So we actually are more aware of what it is we're doing and what we're thinking because that's important, right? We, When you're always in a negative headspace, that's what you continue to get. Whereas if you're always focused on the future, that's what you'll continue to manifest in your life. So it's really about taking control of that, becoming emotional, uh, uh, emotionally resilient. I see. So what does your day look like in relation Cur- to not just your job, but, you know, your continued healing and um, coping mechanisms, should I say? Yeah, absolutely. So now that I'm not working my corporate job anymore, it's really nice because I've set my health as my top priority. You know, when I will go for a walk each and every morning now, I do my meditation, I read affirmations, you know, I actually on my phone have a little picture of a tropical beach because that's my dream is I want to help people in shorts, flip flops and a tank top on a nice tropical beach. And I read out my my um, purpose statement, basically, which is I empower women in recovery to embrace their authentic selves and live up to their true potential. And that's what I think about every morning, right? Because my purpose is the most important thing out of anything that happens. It's not about the money. It's about am I meeting my purpose, right? And so I fill my head up with, you know, that I, I make, I put myself in a good mental spot, which is all about the meditation, affirmations, exercise, 
eating right, you know, and I'm not perfect with the eating part. It's something, one of the addictions that I still struggle with today, but you know. I can relate to that though. <laughs> yes. It's an everyday struggle, don't you think? <laughs> I love food. I love socializing. Right. And you know what's harder when you think like, okay, by tomorrow I'm going to eat this food with this amount. And when tomorrow comes and you open the fridge to cook, your planned meal in your head and oh there's no ingredients for this or that or i miss this and that and you look to the side oh and there's this sweet thing there's this carbonated drink you know temptations just everywhere that's all i'm saying and i'm a victim to it time and time again but as i've said it's an everyday battle right <laughs> yes you're not alone i always tell my clients because that is probably the biggest area people want to improve mm -hmm. but i said think about it right now you know maybe you're just interested in losing weight you're not actually committed because when we commit to something we actually do it right because it's mm -hmm. that important to us right i think that's the idea that lacks when people do yo-yo dieting it's just the now that we look into it's not really like a long-term goal or a lifestyle change. It's just like, mm -hmm. I want to lose it now. And when they lose it, I'm in a good place now. And as you've mentioned earlier, it's about complacency, being complacent. So you go yeah. back again. And I'm saying this not because I'm judging these people, but because I've been there. Yeah. And not until we change our perspective about things and, you know, accept how it could change us in the long term, not just how we would see things. I think there's an impact there. There's a change there. When you decide that you want to be healthy, maybe live longer to enjoy your days, your retirement, or, you know, just go to places, of course, after the pandemic's over. But, you know, I mean, you get the point. Um, it's really about your reason just like what you do, what you need to have, and that's purpose. There needs to be a purpose in everything that you do. You mm -hmm. can't just finish off something without having the end in sight. At least that's how I work. I can't work if I can't understand what this is for. You yeah. know, um, if I'm instructed to do this podcast, I can do that, but why would I? Mm -hmm. And as you said, you know, there are things there, things that we don't want to do just because of money. And, you know, if that's your being a life coach, if that's your consultancy for you, maybe for others, it's their job that they've come to love or their hobby that they're making into something more profitable. It's a case to case basis, as I would always say. And I would like to add regarding a day in your life, you know, your affirmations, your meditation. As for me, I think um, the the activity of, you know, just listing down what you're thankful for, you know, yes. when we practice gratitude, I think we also concentrate and divert our energy to something that's um, positive, something that's um, very, very grateful and helpful towards ourselves so that when the time comes and it's not always a good day tomorrow, right? Yes. It's, you just don't wake up and see roses flowers a good day it's not like that every day and we always have demons we have to fight so when days get harder it's also a time to be more focused on what we're thankful for 
what we have, where we have gone versus where we first started. And personally, that gives me so much energy and motivation to continue mm -hmm. because coming from point A to point B hasn't been easy for you. It took 20 years. Mm -hmm. And I don't think you'd like to sacrifice that over something trivial just because it wasn't a good day. Just right. like others who would listen to this podcast would think that, you know, it's easier to decide when you just want to quit. Yeah, It's so hard to commit. And I think that's one of um, the things that your program teaches, commitment, right? Yes, yes. <laughs> but it's because it makes sense. If you don't commit into something, it's just really going to fall through the cracks. There's no point in doing it any further. So I think that's really helpful, being grateful, you know, practicing gratitude, your affirmations. We need to affirm ourselves. Our yeah. affirmations must not just come from external sources, yeah. you know, what society would believe us to behave, to live, as I've mentioned, I mean, as you've mentioned earlier, you know, where we just take off the societal standards, but never our own happiness over it. So um, I still have another question left, and yeah. um, it's something that I'm also very curious about because as a life coach, some don't you think that sometimes it burns you up? Does it consume you? And if it does, what do you do about it? That is an amazing question because yes, um, especially with someone of my addictive nature and personality, when I was working my corporate job and doing this, I would wake up every morning, sometimes at 3.30 in the morning because I knew that I had a purpose, I knew that I had a mission, and I knew that I only had a certain amount of time to fulfill that purpose. So, you know, I would be going first thing in the morning and then I'd be working my day job and then in the evening I'd be coaching and stuff. And on the weekends, of course, I do my podcast. Um, but because I loved it so much, I wanted to do more and more and more. And so I actually, in my second book, I talk about burnout and I went through extreme burnout in both of my books, but Tamar, also... you are so relatable. <laughs> Let me just tell you that before we end this one. First, you've ta you're talking about procrastination, addiction, food, binge eating, and now we're talking about burnout. Oh my God, tell me more. <laughs> <laughs> You know, I had to start, I recently went through it again because I, I like, I'm very sincere when I say I love going to bed early at night so I can wake up every morning and follow my passion. And it's the first time in a long time over the last few years that I could actually say that because before it was like, ah, I don't want to get out. But there is that fine line of wanting too much, right? And it's like, well, I should help. And I always have to go back to, I have many friends in the health and wellness industry that do meditation and all that and gratitude stuff. Um, I actually do an appreciation rant with a friend of mine. We've been doing it for a year and a half where every morning we spend three minutes doing a voice memo of what we're grateful for. And I have to always, when I start to hit that burnout, which is I notice it when I get the self-doubts, right? Because I still struggle with that inner voice is that, why are you doing this, right? Why, maybe this won't work out, you know? And That's I get that point. when I'm, 
right? <laughs> I, I get that when I'm tired and I start to hit burnout. So what I started to do is when I start to feel like that and I notice that I can't focus and that's the biggest indicator for me because I'm very focused. I'm very like list oriented. I've, I plan my days exactly. out. Same <laughs> right? here. And when I look at that list and I just can't, I don't know where to start, I know that I'm on the edge of burnout. And so I start to pull back and I go, okay, I'm going to read instead. Like this can wait till tomorrow. I'm going to get done what I need to get done. And the rest of it, I got to meditate. I got to have a nap. And, and so I'm very mindful. And every time I push myself a little bit closer to that burnout, I, I'm able to stretch that resilience just a little bit more. But it's it's really on the top of my mind because the last thing I want is to not be at my best, right? When I'm sitting with a client, I want to make sure I can give them 100% of my attention. So self-care is essential. That's true. And you know what? We are so, so fortunate that we are able to detect when we're having a burnout. But for some, because they think that high functionality would also lead to high productivity. Which is not. There's. Are you aware of this thing that we call productive procrastination, where uh, you yes. do anything <laughs> but the main thing? You feel like you're so you're still productive, you're still functioning, you know, you still tick off that list, but it's not the priority, mm-hmm. and it's just a mask because you really don't want to deal with the main thing, and yeah. you feel, and you deceive yourself that you're productive but you're just really productively procrastinating. And as I've said, it, I do have some indicators myself because um, outside of work, I still have some hats to wear. And so that consumes me in a way. Sometimes we would be happily consumed. Sometimes we get consumed by not having a choice, you know. But um, speaking about burnout, Sometimes we have this trick in our mind where we just need to keep going and going and going and going. And with that, we become productive and we feel like when we're busy, we're important. Mm-hmm. And we, when we feel like we're doing everything, we're essential. And that's not the case, right? That's mm-hmm. not it. It's, it's just really about doing what needs to be done, following through to your purpose, and you know just let things follow its course you don't have to finish that fix i mean 50 boxes of to-do lists like you i have lists myself and it frustrates me to no end if it it's not completed by the end of the day i have to repeatedly um remind myself that it's timing and pacing that i need because in rushing it tends to be more risky Mm-hmm. We get to have more mistakes and there's no point in rushing anyway. Who's chasing us? <laughs> the deadlines? Well, after the deadlines comes the deadliest lines. No, I'm just kidding. Mm-hmm. If you have your deadlines, go ahead and deliver. But I think deadlines should not cost us our peace of mind and our self-care. That's just it. And we should just function as much as we could without compromising any of our mental health, physical health. And you know what, Tamar, the sad thing is it's easier said than done. Yeah. Especially when the pandemic hit, people started working from home. 
it was a craze, you know, because now they don't have a boundary of their home and their workplace. That alone is a, a reason for burnout mm-hmm. and trying to function highly function at that they correlated with being productive and you have to be high functioning you have to be competitive you know you have to earn your keep but sometimes it's not the case and the best thing to go forward really is to listen to our bodies and our minds and i think what you're trying to do taking a step back and you know meditate having the time for yourself calming yourself down you know those really help and do, does that happen to you most of the time or recently is it hasn't been um, occurring? No, it's been fairly because I can recognize it very quickly. Um, it doesn't happen as often because I know the signs, but it's definitely something I have to be mindful of. And I think you you nailed it with the word busy is so many people that I work with. That's the one excuse they use can you do this? No, I'm too busy right now. And busy is really saying I'm out of control, right? (laughs) Because of what, exactly. (laughs) When I say I'm too busy right now, it's like busy doing what? And I do everything I I highlight the most, the things that need to get done. I do it first thing in the morning because then it doesn't matter what life throws at me the rest of the day. If I can't get the rest of it done, it's okay. I've given my permission to to do so, right? And it, I mean, a lot of people with their fitness journey, it's the same thing. If you work out in the morning and then you have a bad day at work, it's okay if you go home and you watch Netflix for the rest of the evening because you've already done the important stuff in the morning. Exactly. And I think when we allow ourselves to enjoy, it, there's a certain guilt that comes with it. And I... And it's not just me, I believe. Sometimes we get tricked by needing to be very high functioning that when we slow things down, it guilts us. Mm -hmm. It makes us feel like we're not delivering. We may not be enough, you know, and it's, as I said earlier, it's fortunate for us since we can recognize that. But for those who can't, well, I hope you listen to the to this podcast. <laughs> but aside from that, um, I just really hope they have a way of coping. Because we, when we say we're tired, we're not meaning we stop everything at once. You know, we just need to take a break. And yeah. sometimes taking a break feels like you're weak, because sometimes being busy and productive is so glamorized that you have to keep up and makes us think that when you're not busy, oh my God, you're utterly useless. And that's not the case. That shouldn't be the case, right? And when you said earlier, busy with what? Busy being frantic, busy panicking, just really busy stressing out. Yeah. You. Have you noticed before when you say everything's busy, half of it is just you getting stressed and then yes. half of it is you getting productive? <laughs> That's well, really it's, challenging. It's the same thing with people saying, I'm fine. You know, it's kind of like, are you really fine though? <laughs> when I ask um, people if they're fine, and I mean that in a way where I really want to know their answer and they say I'm fine, 
that's a red flag for me right away. Yeah. And I've learned from a friend that when you're when you're asked, how are you? How are things going with you? You answer with the first thing on your mind. Mm-hmm. And that first thing is either the source of your joy or the source of your stress. Yeah. So when someone asks me, how are you? If I rant about work right away, well, then that's a tell telltale sign that it's either stressing me out or giving me pure bliss. Yeah, <laughs> right? absolutely. And, um, oh my God, I've been keeping you for so long for your morning. (laughs) I've been enjoying this conversation because I totally relate with everything you've said. And whether or not it's addiction, whether or not it's um, something that's really worse with not just alcohol, not just drugs, it's, it's all form of help. And in one way or another, everybody needs help so even i can personally relate to this podcast you know that's why it keeps me going but yeah this i promise you this will be my last question it's okay (laughs) so what would you like to share to our listeners who may also be battling their own demons right now and feel like they are no more than their addiction I would definitely say that your experience can actually be the key to your success. You know, when you start to think I'm not good enough or that your experience is going to affect you in a negative way, think about, you know, how sharing that experience might actually inspire someone or impact someone in your life to actually want to make those positive changes. And that's something that was... the limiting belief part, you know, the voices, the story that I told myself was something that I really struggle with. And when I'm tired, there's times I struggle with it today. But as long as you discover that purpose, you know, what what is it that's important to you? What is it that drives you? What is it that gets you out of bed in the morning, right? Because the reality is we will make time for the things that are important to us. And when we discover what that is, your entire life can completely change that's very insightful and i'll take that for myself as well not just to the listeners because that's that's very true mm-hmm. and it's challenging for others to find that purpose mm-hmm. but that's a crucial step yeah. so that we get to get going you know we just don't get going for others but for the first time maybe for ourselves right and others have the luxury of knowing that from the beginning others like you took years and hopefully for me learning from others (laughs) will not take me down the wrong lane and I hope for the listeners that would work as well Tamar you have been a blessing today thank you very much I feel so honored and I'm not just kidding you or saying that because you're my guest i have learned a lot from this conversation and i hope our listeners will do as well any last words before we end this podcast anything you want just to promote you've mentioned your website earlier regarding your books where can we get a copy as well as your social media account so that we can follow you there well first of all thank you for having me on the show it's always an honor to speak with people like yourself i mean that keeps me going being able to share my story um But yeah, um, my social media links are all on my website. So like I said, uh, www.theroadforward.ca. You can find them there. Um, 
And also my books are available on Amazon. I, my story is called Hope Elevated. And then I've got my latest book, which is Beyond Recovery, which really helps people discover their purpose. So you can find it anywhere on Amazon. All right. And we'll also link that down in the description for this podcast episode. So Mar, thank you very much for your time and continue helping others. You have a great day. Goodbye. State of care.